uh, chapter 28. And as we think about missions and missions um, around us, whether it be local here in the area of Scottsdale, in the U.S., or in other countries. And um, I would assume that most of you have traveled and been in other countries. How many of you have traveled and been in other countries? Okay, quite a bit. So that, uh, that is always good because you're familiar with how things are. How many of you have ever lived in another country? Okay, good. Quite a bit. That is important too because sometimes what often happens is that people visit other countries. Oh, it's nice. It's exotic. But when you actually live there, you deal with issues such as um, you're dealing with uh, the challenges of things aren't like things were at home or at other places. And you are faced with um, challenges of how, how you're going to address culture, maybe the challenges of language. And so as we think about missions, as we think about even um, as we interact with others, sometimes we think about missions in the in the scope of globally, but also regionally, and even residentially. Because it is a call not simply just for global missions, but for missions to every believer. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. So turn, if you would, to Matthew 28. Matthew 28, and we're going to be looking at simply three verses, 18 through 20. And I apologize, usually I always have a PowerPoint. In today's world, it is nice to have the visual as well, and uh, just in this text, um, I didn't make one, so, but we'll have the scripture here, and it'll be on the screen as well. So Matthew 28, please follow along as I read. Matthew 28, verse 18, it says, when Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Shall we open in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth it gives to us. Thank you that we can take a passage that may be very common to us, but Lord, it's a reminder to us. And as we read your word, there's benefit. And we are grateful because as we grow and continue to understand and to read your word, our circumstances change and your words are powerful. Help us to abide by them as we think about even what was sung today, trust and obey. Help us to have confidence in you, not in ourselves, but in your word, in who you are, and help us to obey that. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name, amen. As we take time and look at... Um, Matthew 28, 19 to 20, and as we think about the end of the book, and even starting up in verse 16, where it says, Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. Remember, after his resurrection, you know, they go and uh, they come together. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And here, Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. We'll start in verse 18. Maybe if you have the King James, it was all power is given unto me. That is not wrong either. However, sometimes there's the challenge because the word that is used there refers to authority. It is the power of rule and government. Sometimes uh, there's a word in the original language in Greek that is dunamis where we get the word dynamite. You know, and dynamite, sometimes that changes. Like we can say, oh, that person is dynamite. But we understand dynamite 
uh, TNT. Um, interesting history is, as they used it, even with the nitroglycerin, they used to, um, when they did the mines, they um, had someone who pushed this into the mine, and it was very fragile, and they called them angel buggies, and you can read about it, but imagine if you were the person who were pushing the um, nitroglycerin the, um, down into the mines, and it's going to get ready to blow up. If you hit a bump, you know, you became an angel. That's what they believed, and that's why they were called angel buggies. But dynamite, obviously, as it can be explosive, uh, and that's where the, you get the word dunamis, the power, the power to be able to have both potential, because it could um, explode, and then also the um, kinetic energy. But here the word is, refers to authority. All authority is given to me. The power of him whose will and commands must be submitted to by others and obeyed. And this authority as we think about in our lives, especially in the Western civilization, is challenging because there are certain authorities we may respect or we may obey just because unwillingly or willingly because it's there. But sometimes we don't necessarily abide by the authority, whether it be federal or state, and, um, or civil laws. Think about federal states. Sometimes there's federal laws that we have. Um, I remember when I was in college, of all things, uh, my roommate was a missionary from Peru, and um, I had a stamp. And you think stamp is federal, and uh, that stamp hadn't been used. So it was, it was sent to me, and it hadn't been canceled. And I was like, this is great. I'm going to use this stamp again. This is back when, you know, stamps weren't as expensive, but they're still valuable. And now stamps are like, what, over, over 50, almost 60, 60 cents. But the whole point was it hadn't been canceled, so I thought, I'm going to use this again. And he thought, no, that's not right ethically. You can't do that. And uh, I was like, what? And so anyway, he like chased me all around. I thought, you know, is there some federal police, FBI looking at that I'm going to use this? But he just had a higher um, ethic of not to use that. And I was like, there's nothing wrong with that. But the whole point is, is that, oh, I'm not abiding by the federal law of, you know, there's no law that says, guess what? It hasn't been canceled. You can't use it again. And so as we look at the whole point is federal and state laws, civil laws, as we think about even some of the laws. I mean, I could say, okay, confession, how many of you have gone over the speed limit? Okay, you don't have to raise your hands. <laughs> you know, that's a suggestion, right? Or one time I told someone, in, um, you know, the, the white line around the stop sign, that just means it's optional, so you don't have to really stop. So it was like 2 in the morning, and he just blows the sign. He found out later. He was really mad at me that it wasn't. But... Um, but the whole point is, is as we think about these laws, why do we disobey laws? You know, some of it maybe because I won't get caught. But the authority, as we look at government authorities or whether it be by other authorities, within our nature, we all have a sinful nature. And so, honestly, we're a little bit rebellious. Now, some of you are like, oh, I'm the perfect angel. I, I always behaved, you know, and you know which ones you are, but you also know which ones are not that. Sometimes, you know, if you could get away with things, you did. But within our nature, there's a certain rebellious nature that um, we're not always going to follow those laws. And um, as, as I think about even um, when we lived down in Lima, Peru, there was traffic. And uh, here in the U.S., we're used to following traffic laws, okay? So like, for example, a red light. You know, there's certain laws we, we're not going to run red lights. We don't go around running red lights. In other countries, that's not necessarily so. They will run red lights, so they have to put someone there physically to stop people from doing that. And that's what happened down there. There's a, 
a police officer in a little circle and they would direct traffic and it's like they would just um, not follow laws. And that is a challenge. I think about even in New York City, maybe you read about some of the young people who rebelled, went down and took over the center. And by nature, um, we naturally do not want to obey. And that's been from the beginning. And I think that the challenge is, is that authority, as we view authority, or there are some authority that we will follow after, maybe our parents, because we were fearful of the consequences. <clears throat> but here in Matthew 28, verse 18, Jesus says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth, on earth. <clears throat> And as we look at that scope, it is a broad scope because the basis of that is obviously the Father in heaven and God. God is God and he's worthy of that. And it's a reminder even to us, you know, how are we at submitting to his authority? Because as we continue on, the, the scope of his authority isn't just here at church or maybe in our, in our house. And sometimes it's not at work, or in other areas. In the past, we've become very good at compartmentalizing our lives. Well, here I'm at work, or here I'm a good Christian, or here I do this. And it's important to, under, to remember that all authority that is given to Christ has, in our lives as believers, everywhere. There is no domain where he is not our Lord and Savior. And as Jesus says, all authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. As we think about in Psalms 139, where can we go away from the, the Lord is not there? God is not there. You know, we try to hide. We try to run away. But the authority that God has, especially on a believer's life, but this is not some domineering authority. As we think about it, as we understand who God is, this authority, we desire to submit to that because we know who he is. And he is a just God. So as we move on, verse 19, as as we continue on, go therefore and, and make disciples of all nations. And I'll just stop there for a minute. This is um, not, okay, I want you to now go. He's, he's telling the disciples, says, as you are going, because he has sent them out already. He says, as you are going, you know, continue on the journey that you have entered. And, and often they didn't really understand the mission that they had been given. But that mission is given to each of us. And the hard part as a person comes to faith in Christ. As they confess their sins and place faith in Jesus Christ, they're like, well, now what? This is a journey, but what do I do? And there's some people who simply, okay, I said a prayer, and so that's it. But it's not some special prayer that will gain you access. This is the initiation of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The recognition that you are a sinner and that you cannot in any way, fashion, or form, there's no goodness in you that you can attain eternal life or a relationship with Christ. But when we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for eternal life, that is entering into a new relationship, and the object of our faith is Jesus Christ. We believe that he is God, that he died on the cross, that he rose again. And that is the, the if you will, the faith and believing that God will do what he promised. Now, sometimes we doubt, but it doesn't change where our faith is placed. And here, as these disciples we're given this mandate to go. It continues on to every believer. And it's, if we understand the Hebrew culture, they understood on one level that the word was associated with death. While you are going. Now, granted, um, this path, 
that uh, the apostles were given, all, of, all the apostles, um, except for one, really died a martyr's death. Now, Jesus doesn't expect all of us to die a martyr's death, but oftentimes we think about, okay, you know, once I come into a, a relationship with Christ, everything gets better, right? I hate to tell you, it's not like that. Some people have viewed Christianity as in a, a prosperity religion where, you know, it's, you play your country song back, you get your dog back, you get everything, your truck back, everything back right, right? It's not how Christianity is. Christianity has, has been given, and it says sometimes you're going to suffer, as we talked about last week. Sometimes you're going to go through difficult times, but know that there is purpose in that and that you are um, a believer, so you have the Spirit of God within you to help you to endure. So as it says go, or as you are going, this journey, and this journey has a final destination. Humanly speaking, we all know that we're going to die. We don't know when. I think it would be worse to know when because we'd be filled with anxiety. But to know the fact that our future will be in the hands of God, that we will partake in the um, new nature, if you will, and be in the presence of God in heaven. That gives us hope. But it also helps us to remember that we have this relationship as a disciple of Christ. There's a personal responsibility through this journey. Often as we are pilgrims in this journey of life, you know, the challenge is we become disinterested in what the mission has been given. The longer um, we have, we become indifferent to the importance of maintaining that as a priority in our life because we forget what the mission was. Um, some of you have been in the military and sometimes you wonder why um, there have been wars and other assignments. Why, are you, why do you have this assignment? Just do it because that's what our leaders say or you have to do something. And it can become frustrating. But the Word of God reminds us that we are on a mission, if you will, that God has given to us. What is this mission? But it is a priority that to some it may consume our lives, but to others it is a priority in our lives, and we must never forget the priority of this mission. So it says here in verse 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Um, in the King James it might say, Go ye. And literally that is all of you people. It doesn't just mean that the disciples. It means all those who are going to come and follow after. And this is a command he's given to make your disciples, to teach, instruct, continue to train others. What is a disciple? You know, first of all, this is not an option. Each of us are to make disciples and think, okay, what is a disciple? What does that mean? You know, a believer must be actively involved in training and investing in the spiritual lives of others. If you are a parent, you understand a little bit about discipleship because you train a child. And it's not just, oh, you allow them to experiment. I knew a fellow who had a social experiment, and so he said, I have a social experiment, so, you know, I have these dogs, and I'm just going to let them act like humans, you know. And, and you know what happens when you just allow, if, if, imagine if just as a parent says, I'm just going to let the children do whatever they want. I'm not going to give them any instruction. What do we end up with? Go ahead, you can respond. I know that's, what? Spoiled? Chaos. I mean, think about it. There is no structure. And usually kids want structure. Even adults, we like structure. But to understand that without out that, they would just end up being lost. And whose fault would it be? The parents. 
And as we look at this whole uh, terminology as Jesus gives, he says, go and make disciples. A believer is actively involved in training and instructing on a daily basis. You know, think about the people who you are, go and make disciples. Um, as we even think about that spiritually, a disciple is one who has come to faith in Christ and then to train them in the knowledge and understanding of what the Word of God says. And as we look at, you know, in our lives, we teach children, grandchildren, grandparents, husband, wives, co-workers, neighbors, friends. Um, we even learn uh, there's YouTube influencers. There's always methodology of training and teaching. I think about the teacher that was teaching her class of second graders and the second graders, and they had a magnet. And they're sh they, um, the teacher was showing the class what a magnet does. And they were all fascinated by that. And, and then she had a test the next day. And so she writes on this test that says, okay, very simple. My full name has six letters. The first one is M. I'm strong and attractive. I pick up things. What am I? So she gets all the answers back. And you'd be surprised because half the answers that she got back, it was mother. You know, and think, well, that's true. You know, mother starts with M, strong, picks up things, attractive. So, I mean, but the point is, is understanding that is that the influence that people have teaching. But as we think about it, and let me go back, just remember, as we think about five principles that I forgot to mention, first of all, chill, um, Christians are, are called to obey. Okay, because of that authority of Christ in our lives, they're called to obey, but also they're called to evangelize. And evangelize means to share the news of Christ. And we know from 1 Corinthians 15, what is the gospel? That Jesus Christ died on the cross, that he rose again. And to teach that. And part of that is instructing and continuing on, helping people understand that. And as we look at verse 19, it says, Go therefore make disciples of all the nations. All nations are literally the nations in all things. And at that time, there was a large um, continuing understanding of the ethnic diversity that was taking place there. And we continue to understand that there were four nations. They were not worshiping the true God. That the, the point that Christianity came to earth at that point in time where Greek was a common language and then the roads made Christianity very viable and able to spread globally. And God knew what he was doing at that time. And this was a change for the Jews because to be Jewish in background, they were very ethnocentrically um, loyal because they were the chosen people. Speak Hebrew, you know, and the Jewish. And if you think about the pride of being Jewish, so it was hard for them to understand. And even as we see that um, as the church starts and begins and acts and some of the letters by Paul. But as we, as Jesus expressed and says, they were to go and to be given shared knowledge of the risen Lord. And the challenge for any, anyone um, individually to talk to other people, to share with other people, you have personality issues because some of, of our versus extrovert, ex, um, extroverts. I can't even say what was wrong with me, you know? Extroverts. There we go. But then as we, as we look at it, there is a difference. And people who are different from us, sometimes it is one thing to be on 
vacation or in a different country. You expect that. But in, in the U.S., what often happens is we spend time around people who are like us. And I would encourage you to get to know other people, to go around. And here, it is of all nations. And it's interesting because in our world, as we think about governments and sometimes societies, there's a lot that tries to divide. But the Bible actually emphasizes that we are all one in Christ, but there is a unity as humanly speaking. We are made in God's image and go and learn. And here, Jesus expresses that we are go to all nations. And it is important because as we learn about others' customs and traditions, there are many customs and traditions, even within the United States. Maybe you grew up in the United States and, you know, the U.S. was built upon ethnic diversity. And it continues on, and even cultural diversity. I mean, I know if you're from the South, you know, you have to cook with butter. You know, that is a, a, a staple. Um, if you're from the, the Northeast or, or the Midwest, if you're from the Midwest, you have to know what a casserole is. You know, there's all different regional food differences. I mean, but think about the challenges when it comes to ethnic differences. How many of you like ethnic food? And what I mean by ethnic food, food from other countries. Okay, good. How many of you know what balut is? Okay, some of you know what balut is. Okay, balut is a, usually a Filipino Eastern um, Asian dish, and it's like a, a fermented part of a, a bird that you eat out of a nest. Most people are like, this is gross. Most of my Filipino friends, and, and they're like, hey, you know what, we feed this to people just to, to watch them eat this because certain things. But there are different foods that we're like, oh, I could never eat that. Or what about um, as we think about um, live octopus or squid? Or even maybe um, we live in the Southwest, so we know Mexican food. Menudo, right? How many like menudo? You know? Okay, one person. See, I know Josie would. She, I know she likes it, too. And I tell her the joke, you know, with family. You know, some people don't like menudo because there's only a slight variance in spelling between menudo and manure. But, you know, you have to prepare it right. But the whole point is, is you enjoy these foods. And, but oftentimes, there's a story behind it as well. And my point is, ethnically, what often happens is, you know, get to know other people because we make assumptions about people. But get to know people, listen to their stories, and share stories with them. Each of us have a, a story. But there are people that are going to look different from us, from different backgrounds. And Jesus encourages us to get to know one another because you're going to find that you have more in common than you do different. And we must be willing to make mistakes for the sake of the gospel. We must be willing to have embarrassment. You know, sometimes we're going to pronounce things wrong or, or make a, a quote-unquote social faux pas. And, but in love, it should not prevent us from being willing to talk to others about Jesus. And that's an important part because that is an essential part of the gospel. We do it for the love of Christ, of what Christ has done for us. If you think about the motivation, the power of love, one who has loved you so greatly in spite of who you are, and there's a loyalty, there is a, a great um, relationship that you have because of what they've done for you. And that motivates us more than someone who, under the rule of authority, says you have to do this. So as we... As we understand, Christians must evangelize. And here the emphasis is upon what is being taught. And it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nat nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
make disciples of all nations. And it continues on. It's important that we remember that as we think about disciples, as we think about uh, what we teach them, it is the message of the gospel of Christ. And it is important to remember that you know, it's not just simply knowledge. Sometimes we pride ourselves on knowledge. There are people who are academics or, you know, those who, who I know more than you. I spoke one time about uh, a message. It was called, um, you don't have to be the smartest person in the room. But what is, is important is to understand that there are some who are not going to share their knowledge. And I, I say that there is greater uh, blessing in sharing that knowledge. Um, I remember working in the operating room and there were some who Working with surgeons, there's a certain methodology and you go through for certain procedures. And some at, at your work, maybe they, they know nuances and specialties of their work, but they don't share them with others because they want to be the only one who knows how to do that. And they call it job security, but, and they think that they're indispensable um, because they'll always have the distinction of being able to be, quote, unquote, exclusive, But this text impresses upon us that we need to teach others in all things what the Word of God says. And it's not about who is the smartest, but the fact that being able to know this information, but also being able to live it, as we'll see. Even in the past, um, I know Jeremiah has been teaching about church history. In the past, the church uh, leaders have tried to be exclusive and withheld Scripture, saying that, oh, people can't interpret Scripture. What we encourage here at Grace is that we read the Word of God and take and understand if you have questions. Now, there are going to be a lot of questions, and there's some who might know more Scripture, more theology, but that doesn't mean that you're more spiritual. Knowledge alone can lead to arrogance, as we talked about, remember, in 1 Corinthians. It, knowledge puffeth, puffs us up, and it can just lead to arrogance. But true wisdom... You know, we are to rejoice when others grow. And I think about even throughout the Bible, there are characters such as those who have surpassed other knowledge. If you remember Barnabas, who brought along Paul. And even Barnabas, who invested in John Mark, who wrote the book of Mark. Those individuals, and they they surpassed themselves, and they were happy in that. And so as we invest in others, it is a blessing that we have. But also remember to evangelize, to share Christ with others. is part of the mission that we have been given. Also, Christians are called to participate, not only in the local church, but also in the lives of others. Now, that doesn't mean we're, we're busybodies or nosy, because we like to know information about other people. But here it says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that baptizing, literally continue to baptize them. It doesn't mean, and it doesn't mean that we keep on getting baptized over and over again. But what that means is people are going to continue to get baptism. And baptism includes the profession of the name of whose follower we have become. In the Bible, uh, that baptize, actually, bautizo means to immerse. And uh, they just transliterated and became baptized. Because there were some who, as, we, as they translated, didn't believe in, in immersion. But you can see archaeologically and as that immersion, the baptism. But that baptism was identification with Christ and not the world. Literally guilty by association. And as we think about it, the, the challenge is in today's society is that, oh, you're marked by the government, by social media. You know, and it's like they're separating everyone into groups. And if you're, if you're not part of this group, then you're not part of us. And it's challenging. And I would, as we navigate through this time, 
I would encourage you to be wise. Pray, you know, we have to be wise. But above all, navigate as you navigate. It is important that you are associate with Jesus Christ. Now, what does that mean? Some say, well, if you aren't this, then you aren't um, part of Jesus Christ. But as you remember, even the apostles, as they were going through, Jesus would say, hey, look what they're doing in your name. And Jesus says, you know, leave them alone, let them continue on. But understand that there are going to be people who do things differently, but it doesn't mean that we have to always uh, be part of who they are. And here, is there evidence enough from the secular world to try you as guilty as being a believer, a Christian? First and foremost, it is important that we understand what it means to be a Christian, to follow after Christ. doesn't mean that we look a certain way. doesn't mean that we sing certain things or, or always believe different things. There are some who are so exclusive. Uh, when we're t- they're talking about some of the tenets of the faith. And uh, there's a story about um, a, um, an individual who is, um, who is going to jump off a bridge, and then this one guy comes up to him and says, hey, you know, don't jump off the bridge. You know, there's a lot of mental health suicide, but just they were talking and says, don't jump off the bridge. There's things to live for. Oh, no, there's nothing to live for. And so this guy goes, come on, there has to be something to live for. And he tells them, you know, um, you know, I'm um, of this church, and they end up talking, and they have a lot in common. And they, they were from the same church. They had some of the same beliefs. And then they go, oh, yeah, you know, don't you remember? Do you believe um, in this Bible? Yes, I believe in that Bible. And they're talking about um, what they call um, New Hampshire Confession of Faith. And there's certain confessions of faith that um, sometimes they were exclusive. And, and the one guy goes, yeah, well, I don't believe in that one. And then the guy goes, well, then die, you heretic. And the point is that what happens is sometimes our, our circles of exclusivity become so tight that we don't understand that Christians can believe a little differently than we do. But it doesn't mean that we always have to do everything with them. But what is essential is that the gospel, what is the gospel? The death, burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And as a church, we have a, a confession, we have a constitution that dictates our circles as we um, are involved with others, but we don't get involved in a lot of government and a lot of social issues because understand is the priority is to to share the gospel, to help others understand what the Word of God says. But it doesn't mean that some people as individuals continue to do that, and there's nothing wrong with that. But here, it's important that we understand that Christians are to baptize and even as we think about membership in a local church, it provides accountability. It provides that responsibility. And that's a challenge because sometimes we don't want that. But the local church is responsible for their own. Sometimes people ask, hey, can you help me? Um, will you give this? Uh, there's people who drive through. They always call the church and ask for money or ask for something. And what I've, uh, what I've learned to ask them, because sometimes you can be very a callous and say, oh, you know what, there's other programs, which there are a lot of programs, and why do you always wait till last hope is to ask the church? And the reason is because churches are always kind. But sometimes I started asking them, well, are you involved in a local church? Well, do you attend anywhere? Well, no. You know, and people wait to the last minute, and I think it's important that you have um, at least a system that is going to encourage and help you to prevent you arriving at these points. And the local church is more than just a club. It becomes part of a family. It becomes part of a, an organization um, where people are part of, but 
it is, as we think about it, even early on, they were called brothers and sisters in Christ. And uh, we don't go around calling each other brother and sister. You could. Um, that's kind of more of a dated term. But they did um, back in the early church. And um, then they thought, okay, they must be all incest because they're all brothers and sisters. Well, that's not necessarily true either. But the whole point is there's a familial level to the local church. And sometimes we don't want people to know about who we are or what's going on, but it is important that we learn the humility of being a believer. Because I, I believe that Jesus Christ, God knows what is going on in our lives. And it takes a little bit of humility toward one another in that lesson as we continue on in our faith and practice. And here it says believers are to participate. And as that baptized, while you are baptizing, um, it is important that we identify with Christ. And there's a lot that we learn from others. But let me continue on as we look at baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. This is a great um, verse for the Trinity. The Trinity is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God the Father is God, God the Son is God, and God the Holy Spirit is God. However, God the Father is not God the Father is not God the Son. God the Son is not God the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit is not God the Father. One God. And while it's a concept that we don't understand completely, it does not negate the validity of that statement. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And here it expresses that. And we see the roles that they play as well in the life of a believer. And so it says baptizing them in that name, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Believers are also called to train. While we evangelize and participate, get involved in the lives of others, we're also called to train. As I mentioned, a little bit of that. And that teaching, imparting instruction, instilling doctrine into one. It's important that we continue to grow and learn. That's the hard part because oftentimes we don't want to learn anything else. And I really have to give credit to some who, um, I was talking with someone who um, was born in 1936. No one here, don't worry, but born in 1936. And think about the history that they had seen through life. And there were some who, were, who have been born older. And those who have gone, even as we think about the Depression and the World Wars, there's a lot of change that has occurred and a lot that has occurred rapidly in the past 10 years, te technologically. But as we, as we view in teaching, learning, and understanding, it is important because the fact that the training is effective is when it is witnessed by other. Teaching is often viewed simply as imparting the information, but that's not true teaching. Teaching is just not simply teaching others so that they can repeat back the information. There's a difference between that teaching and training because true teaching or training ensures that both the student understands the material and they can articulate how it is applied. And so as we go through, to observe all things. Observing to show oneself, actually holding to that. Literally to be a witness. Sometimes we want to be a witness to be able to see things. And where it says, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. So you're training them to observe all things. What are they observing and how can they view it? They actually... You're training an individual to observe that through your life. That places great accountability and responsibility in your life, which is hard. Because for the most part, we don't like people watching us. 
Um, they've done social experiments, you know, bring someone into the room and then everyone watches them. You know, they're like, you know, what's wrong with, is there something wrong? Looking at them. We feel anxiety about that. But observing, and honestly speaking, we're, we're not that good at observing things. By far, women are much better than observing than men. I mean, if you're a male here and are a good observer, you're the exception than the rule. Because usually, you know, women can say, okay, um, they, um, when we come into a social setting, they're looking at what people wear, the hairdo, the colors, everything. Guys are like, where's the food? Okay, there's the exits. Okay, I got to make sure, you know, they're looking. There's just a difference in men and women. But observing all things and the details in that. And here, the observing is the training is viewed as effective when people are living the principles out in their daily lives and not simply stating that they believe the tenets of the faith. So let me reiterate that in a different way. So training others to observe those things that you are telling them in your own lives. Are you living out what you say you believe? That's a difficult issue because as we think about trust and obey, there's times in our lives where events occur in our lives that we're fearful, that we aren't as trustworthy to God because we don't know what's going on in our circumstances. But it's during those times, even when we fail, that we are teaching other people. Guess what? It's okay to mess up, but do we quickly return to God and say, hey, you know, confess, I failed, or guess what? Continue on in the right path. As I think about David, David in the Old Testament is one who I really appreciate because he messed up a lot. But whenever he was confronted with his sin by the prophet Nathan, he returned quickly to God and he admitted it. I am that man. I am guilty. You are that one. He didn't try to deny it. He didn't try to place the blame on others. And I think that humility is an essential part of the Christian character because it demonstrates First of all, our weaknesses, but then also that quick confession. And in, in our Christian lives, we're going to mess up. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to not always have faith. We can't always be the, the stalwarts to think about that Job. We think about Noah and his meekness, or, or Moses and Daniel, a man of faith. Different individuals, prophets who are obedient. Um, even examples throughout the Bible of women who, who followed after. Naomi, Esther, the queen. You have Ruth, who, who was willing to leave all that she knew and follow after. Your God shall be my God. And so the evidence of that, and so here, observing. Allowing other people to observe your spiritual lives. But it doesn't mean that you're just alone. That's why it's important as, as a local body of believers, other individuals who help you, encourage you spiritually to make it through. And the one who has authority commanded us to teach in everything, all aspects, not just in head knowledge, but in application daily lives. And that's the challenge is sometimes we allow God to con take control of part of our lives. God, you can have this area of my life, but not this. And it's important that we are committed completely to God, and it's not always easy. You know, sometimes we'll say, okay, God, it's okay um, if, um, you know, my work, I commit to you, my finances, but not my children. And sometimes, in, as we think about idolatry, idolatry is not simply, oh, bow down to this image. Sometimes it's anything that we place that has greater value in our lives than God. That can include a husband and wife, a children, our possessions, our time, our resources, and so observing all things, and as other people view your life, 
You know, it is important that we, we sometimes feel like we're living under a glass, especially as Christians nowadays. But when you say the term Christian, sometimes people don't know what, what that means, simply that you believe in God. How can we differentiate a person who believes in God and believes in Jesus Christ, the biblical definition, differently from someone who just believes in God? You have to live out your faith. There's going to be a difference in the choices that you make, in the decisions, in what you do that are going to be different from other people that call themselves Christians. And that is what's going to be observed. And people are always watching because they want Christians to mess up. And if you're here this morning, have a faith and have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, I encourage you because life is not always easy, but it is going to be one of the most valuable relationships that you ever have. The most valuable. But there's also going to be a time, a blessing, and as we see in a little bit, that there is going to, you're going to see the value in that, in our relationship with Jesus Christ. And here, the training view as effective when people see that, they're witnesses, but also teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This does not refer to like, um, you know, once you're on an airplane, you're not with God because I'm only with you low. Some people have said that's excuse of I'm not going to fly in a plane because God says low I'm with you, not high. But low, literally, I am with you. The one who has authority is commanding us to teach everything, all aspects, not just head knowledge. As we see here, it is essential to recognize that that means uh, I think in the King James it uses the word behold. Literally it means look, pay attention to this because there's something important coming up. We're going through in our, in our Bible studies um, just, hey, the hermeneutic. If you remember, it is important that we observe and then we interpret, then we apply it. And here, as we observe, it says, lo, look, pay attention to this. I am with you. Here we talk about the Holy Spirit residing in the life of a believer, the Holy Spirit resides in a believer at the moment of salvation. And that is a valuable tool because that is the presence of God with us. And where it says always, that literally means every day. There is not a time in the life of a believer where the Holy Spirit, where God is not with you. Because this is a valuable and important lesson because what often happens is people are going to forsake us. There's going to be times where you feel like no one cares about you. But yet God is there. And the presence of a holy God who is with you, cares for you, can encourage you as you turn to Scripture. And there's going to be times where you don't feel like it. Maybe you're too sick. Maybe you're going through the, those cancer treatments and it's like, oh, God, why, are, why, does this, why is this happening to me? Remember going through suffering and we, our natural desire is to ask questions. But I want to, you to remember that God is with you every step and has a plan and purpose for your life. And while you might not understand it, know that he is with you. That is a promise that will not be forsaken. He is with you every day, in every situation, in every trial, in every failure, in every success, in every conceivable circumstance, God is with you. And as we know from Hebrews 13, he will never leave us nor forsake us because many of our friends and closest ones may, he never will. And it says, to the end of the age, or completion, consummation. Some have interpreted this to the, even the rapture of the church from the world, from Matthew 13, or 
or 24, as it talked about, uses that same terminology to the end of the age. Let me just close with this because time is short. Time is short literally, but also figuratively. Biblical Christians, so that's, just remember that, those principles. We must, Christians are called to remember that, that God is with us. But biblical Christians must not ignore unbelievers who are around us. Don't just live your life to fulfill your own desires or your own will. To remember that you are living as a witness to others. And first, a couple questions. Are you obeying the commands of God to help others know Jesus? Trust and obey. Trust in God, but are we obeying his commands? And part of that includes being a witness to tell, sometimes tell others. You know, we don't just go to everyone and say, hey, do you know Christ? Do you know Christ? Nowadays, a lot of people don't even know what it means to be a Christian, don't know the Bible, don't care. But to initiate a conversation, to talk to them. Do you recognize that people are controlled by sin and need prayer? You know, sin is real. And there's some people who are going to reject some people who are controlled by that, but they need prayer. And if you have a burden, if you care about people who are lost, who, who don't know Christ, and I encourage you, whether it be your neighbors, your family members, or friends, pray for them first. You can talk to them all you want, but continue to pray for them and encourage them. And I, I know people here have unsaved loved ones that they care about. And we must pray about them. We must continue to ask that God would intervene in some way. And while we might have that circle of influence with them, God may bring somebody else from some other um, unbeknownst to us or, or really in a, in a pattern or path that we would not choose, that God will help them to know Christ. And then third, do you have spiritual conversations or talk with others about the Bible or Jesus? Don't just pray for others that they would come to Christ, but also pray that we would have opportunities to talk to Christ. And I'll be honest, this isn't always easy because if you're a task-oriented person, sometimes you do things and you forget to interact with people. Or maybe you're more the introvert and, want to, and don't like to talk to other people. That happens too, but God may bring someone specifically that you can connect with. Or you might be that extrovert and loves to talk to everyone, but what often happens is you talk to all these individuals, but there's nothing, you never arrive at the point where you're trying to go a little deeper and discuss spiritual things. Because it's very easy to go through life and not um, be very shallow in our relationships. And it begins with having a heart of understanding that we are commanded to both love one another, but to care about those who do not know Christ. And when we have that burden, when we have that mission, understand that mission that has been given from God to love others, to tell them about Jesus Christ. It'll help us to recognize that, you know what? He has given us the capability to talk to other people. We don't have to sell them anything. It's not like being the, the um, salesperson. If you ever worked in sales, they have all gimmicks and, you know, solar to, to windows to, um, what else do they sell around here? You name it. You know, frozen foods. But when it comes to Christ, it is not selling something. It is sharing what has occurred in your life. And to recognize that our relationship with Christ is joyful. There is peace. There is the knowledge of knowing that Christ, God is real. And I would encourage you something tangible. You could write down five people within your sphere of influence and pray for them daily. Interact with them. Eternal life in heaven is a phenomenal gift that believers possess when we die. 
Hopefully you understand, if you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you have a possession that is invaluable, that is phenomenal. And it's something that we can't even comprehend yet. If you think about the greatest experience in your life, it will not compare to the time we're in heaven. Now the challenge is that we don't receive that until we die. And most of us don't look forward to our death. You know, we would rather say, you know, I would rather pass away in my sleep, you know, um, but there are others who, who will be like, you know, I'd like to go out, you know, maybe jumping off a cliff or, or, or doing some of the, um, the skydiving or something like that. Well, whatever way we choose, it's don't, think, don't dwell upon the event, but dwell upon the fact that in Christ, you know, while that time will come, we all, we all pass away, we all will have an eventual demise. There's also a plan and purpose that we have to live. And people dwell so much on dying that they forget to live. Live with this command is that you have the opportunity. You are who you are, specifically with gifts and abilities, to be able to share that with others. And, to, and you, in your sphere of influence, with the gifts that you have, you are going to live and serve Christ a little differently than someone else. Because of your nature and how God has given you gifts. Maybe you'll sing. Maybe you'll be happy. Maybe you, you're very serious, but you'll be able to connect with someone else. And God is going to give you opportunities to share the gospel with others. And I encourage you to obey that. And I'll end with this. When that time comes when we are in heaven, will you have anyone that God has wanted you to influence in heaven with you? Shall we pray?